Mike Vonderau, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you today. I want to begin with a famous quote that goes like this. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Well, that's certainly how it feels a lot of times. You know, sometimes it feels like our lives are on a particular path. They're on a particular trajectory. You know, we've got plans for our career. We've got plans for our family. And then all of a sudden, bam, life gets in the way. Something changes. Somebody loses their job. A loved one gets sick or passes away. Something changes and all of a sudden, our life takes an unexpected detour and everything's different. This is happening to all of us right now on a global scale, and it's kind of a crazy thing. But when these detours in our lives happen, there's two things to notice. One is that there is a loss that needs to be grieved and recognized. Now, sometimes those losses are really big deal things, things like jobs or health or loved ones. Now, there's a lot of people right now that have had to postpone wedding ceremonies. And think of all the graduation ceremonies for high school seniors and college seniors that are, have been delayed or postponed or moved online. And there's all kinds of different compromises we've had to make and losses we've had along the way. Even things that might seem trivial, you know, vacation plans that were canceled, summer plans that changed, or even the fact that, you know, you can't sit at a restaurant with your, at your favorite restaurant with your favorite friend the way you used to anymore. There's big things and there's little things, but in all of these, there are losses. And there are losses that are difficult to take and that need to be recognized and grieved. And that's part of what happens whenever our lives take these detours along the way. But then there's another thing that happens as well. There are also opportunities. See, I believe that God uses the interruptions in our lives, these shifts, these detours, to draw us closer to Him, to grow us beyond who we are and who we used to be, and to carry out His plans in the world. Now you might say, Mike, you know, I don't understand. How could me losing my job or someone, a loved one passing away, how could any of this be a part of God's plan? And all I would say is this, it can be and it is because God is the one who redeems all things. He won't leave anything on the cutting room floor in your life. He is able to use every hardship and every challenge and every difficulty toward his glory and towards his good ends. You know, the Bible is full of stories of lives that met with these divine detours. People that were going about their life, going about their business, that weren't expecting these dramatic changes, and all of a sudden something changes, God steps in, and their life goes on a totally different course. Think about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He's just minding his own business, doing whatever it is that he's doing, and God comes along and enters in and says, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your homeland and go to the place that I have set for you. I have a new life for you. And Abraham leaves everything behind, he and his wife, and they go on this challenging journey that was not anything he ever asked for. But God, he grows close to God. He grows to be much more than he was before. 
and God uses him in special ways as a part of his salvation plan. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you know, you're favored by God, and all these things are going to happen, and none of it is stuff she asked for or bargained for, and of course it's a great blessing. But think of the challenges along the way as well. Think about the Apostle Peter. Sitting in his boat one day, he was running his father's fishing business. And Jesus shows up and he's teaching a crowd of people and he sits down in Peter's boat and says, why don't we put off to sea a little bit and let the nets down? And they let the nets down and it's a miraculous catch of fish. And Peter's whole life changes from that moment forward. For all of these people and so many more in the Bible, their lives were on a particular path. You know, they may have had plans. They may have had things, that, goals and things that they were intending to do. And then all of a sudden, something changes. And there's a divine detour. And usually there are unexpected challenges. Certainly there are losses along the way. But there are also unexpected blessings. Our sermon series over the last several weeks has been called Uncertain. And my message this morning, I'm entitling it Divine Detours. And so this, today we're going to look at the life of Moses and see how God intervened in his life and met him and set him off on an entirely different trajectory than he'd ever planned for. And we're going to see what lessons the Bible has for us about our life and the detour that we may be in the midst of today. So if you have your Bible with you at home, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. So Exodus is just the second book of the Bible. So you've got Genesis, then Exodus. And open that up to Exodus chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 23. And as you're finding that passage, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us, and then we'll get started into uh, the passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. And God, as we open your word and study it this morning, we ask that you meet each and every one of us right where we are. And Lord, show us what you have for us today. God, show us where you are in the midst of the unexpected interruptions of life, the detours that we never planned for or asked for. Show us where you are in the midst of those things and how you use those things to draw us closer to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so just a little bit of backstory before we start into our passage. So the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. And during that time, Pharaoh became concerned about the growth of the Israelite population. So he has this terrible decree that the, first, that the male-born children of Israelites need to be cast into the Nile River. And it's an awful thing, and, and this child is born, Moses, and his parents, they want to save him. And so they hide him for as long as they can, and then eventually they put him in this kind of wicker basket, and they put him in the Nile River and float him down. Well, he ends up in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, who takes pity on him, and she raises him in the household of Pharaoh. And so when he becomes an adult, Moses becomes an adult, you know, he knows that he's an Israelite. And he sees the way that his people are being treated. And one day he watches an Egyptian 
uh, beat an Israelite. And so he intervenes and beats the uh, Egyptian to death. Well, word quickly spreads about this, and Moses needs to flee. And see, he goes to the neighboring territory of Midian, and there he kind of settles down. He gets married and um, is living there and becomes a shepherd, and that's where we're going to pick up our story. So now we're in verse 23, and it says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You know, I love that in this passage, as we get started uh, today, that when the people cry out to God, it says that God heard their cries and he knew. Psalm 34 verse 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If that's you this morning, if you're the brokenhearted and you're the crushed in spirit, I want you to know that scripture promises you that God is near to you. And we can trust that just like in this passage, God knew the struggle and the hardship of the Israelites in Egypt. God knows what you're in the midst of. Whatever happens next in our passage happens because God hears the cry of the brokenhearted and he responds. Exodus chapter 3 now in verse 1 says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb is the same place as Mount Sinai. This is the place that Moses will later lead the Israelites to and they'll worship God and receive the Ten Commandments. Verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then God said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, did you notice what Moses was doing when God met him that day? It said that he was tending his flock. That means that Moses was a shepherd. He was just an ordinary guy. It was just an ordinary day. And he was just doing his job. Now, it's interesting to me that God says, take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. 
Well, the truth of the matter is, there was actually nothing special about the place that Moses was standing. Now, of course, Mount Sinai would become the place that Moses would later meet with God and, and receive the Ten Commandments and all of that. But at this time, he was just tending his flock in the wilderness somewhere. So why does God say it's holy ground if it's just an ordinary place, no different than anywhere else? Well, see, it's holy ground because God met Moses there. He was with him there. You see, what makes something holy and special and set apart is the fact that God is there in that place. You see, Moses was an ordinary guy, but because he was with God and God was with him, he did extraordinary things. That was just an ordinary place in the wilderness, but because God met Moses there, it became an extraordinary place, a holy place. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now notice that God says that he saw, he heard, he knew, and he came down. You see, we have a God who does not stand off at a distance while we're struggling through life on our own. We have a God who sees and hears and knows and gets involved. And that's just what he does in this passage. Verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with with which the Egyptians oppress them, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now just imagine that you're Moses. And God says, I've called you. You're going to lead my people. And how would you respond to that? Just think about for a second, what might you say when God says, I've chosen you to go to Pharaoh and lead my people? What you might say is, Me? Why me? Well, let's see what Moses says. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses asked the same question that we would ask. You know, we, we thought, why me? Moses says, who am I? And I don't know what Moses expected for an answer. You know, maybe he expected some form of rationale. You know, well, Moses, it's got to be you because you're simply the bravest guy around. Or you're the most gifted negotiator. You're the most intelligent. You're the most respected. You know, you fill in the blank. Maybe Moses was hoping to get one of those. But instead, did you notice? God didn't actually answer Moses' question. He says, who am I? And God responds, I will be with you. 
See, even though the question that we might be most inclined to ask is why me or who am I, maybe the best question to, to ask would be this. God, if you're calling me to do this, are you going to go with me? And of course, the answer is yes. God says, I will be with you. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So in other words, Moses is saying, you know, I'm going to go to my people, the Israelites, and tell them all these things. And if they say, what's this God's name? What should I tell them? And maybe what Moses is saying is this, you know, God, I know who you are. That you're the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But I don't really know you. What's your name? And so verse 14, God says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now that may sound a little bit strange, the way God responds there and the way that gets translated in the English language because he says, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. It almost might sound like God is blowing Moses off. He really isn't. In fact, quite the opposite. God tells something Moses to Moses that's incredibly important and so we're going to have to unpack it a little bit right now. When God says his name is I am who I am in Hebrew that sounds like eh yeah I will be or I am and when he says go tell the people that I am has sent you that name sounds like Yahweh he will be. So let me show you what this name looks like in Hebrew. Okay, so this is what that name looks like in Hebrew. And if we were to go letter for letter into the English language, this is what we come up with. Now you're going to notice that there are no vowels in there. That's because the Hebrew language, the way it was originally written, there were no vowels. So this is how it gets rendered if we go letter for letter in the English language. And we usually pronounce that Yahweh, and it means I am. Wherever in your Bible you see the word Lord written in all capital letters, and that happens about 6,500 times or so in the Old Testament. Wherever you see Lord written in all capital letters, that is actually this name here. That's Yahweh. And the reason that it gets written this way in our English Bibles is because in, uh, for the ancient Israelites, there was a certain point in time where they stopped speaking the name of Yahweh. They felt that it was too holy, too sacred, too important to even utter that name. And so what they would do is wherever they read Yahweh, uh, what they would do is actually say Adonai, which is Lord. And so that's why in our English Bible you see that. But Yahweh is in there in the Old Testament some 6,500 odd times. Well, what does that mean, this name I am? Well, what it means is that God is the one who has always existed. 
before any of us were, before any of us existed, he was. He existed. And if God did not exist, none of us would exist. If he wasn't, we wouldn't be. But here's what that name means, I think, most importantly for this passage and for our lives. It means when God says his name is I am, it means that God is the one who has always been with you and will always be with you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He was there the day you were born. He's there today with you and he will always be with you. God is the great I am. That's why when Moses says, but who am I? God says, I will be with you. Now, Moses is not exactly excited about the detour that God has him on in life. And maybe you're not thrilled about the detour that you're on as well. You know, in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses objects to God. You know, he says, well, if I go to the Israelites, they're not going to listen to me. And they're not, they're not going to believe me. They won't think that I met with you and that I spoke to you. And God ends up, you know, basically demonstrating to Moses that, you know, hey, listen, I have ways of getting people's attention. You don't need to worry about that. Okay, fine. Then in chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says, you know, I don't actually speak very well. I'm not a great public speaker. And so I don't think really I should be the one to go speak to Pharaoh. And he even says that I'm slow of speech, which may be a way of saying that he actually had a stuttering issue. Some people think that Moses may have had a stuttering issue. And here God has called him to go speak on behalf of God's people to Pharaoh. And then, in, uh, and then God assures him still then that, you know, God says, well, who do you think made speech in the first place? And God tells him, yeah, I've got you covered on that one too. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 13, Moses just says to God, send someone else. And maybe you feel like that too right now. You know, God, send someone else. I'm not the right person for this job. And each time... God reassures Moses that he's in control, that he's got a plan, and that he will be with him. You know, the thing about the Bible and the thing about our Christian faith is this. So often in life, what I want, what you want, is certainty about the things to come. You know, I want to be certain that there's going to be enough money in the bank. I want to be certain that I'm going to have my job or have our health or you name it. And unfortunately, there's nowhere in the Bible, there's no verse that offers us any kind of certainty over those types of things in life. And there's no equation, faith equation, that we can make work where if you do this, then you'll be guaranteed that. It just doesn't exist. God doesn't promise us certainty about those types of things in life, even though sometimes we feel so desperate for it. But do you know what God promises us absolute, undeniable certainty about? He promises us absolute, undeniable certainty that he will be with us. That's why when Moses says, who are you? What's your name? He says, I am. 
I'm the one who's always been there. And I'm the one who will always be there. Maybe the question we need to start asking is not so much, God, will I have this or will you provide that or will you show me this? But simply the question of God, are you going in with me? I can guarantee you the answer is yes, 100% of the time. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, I don't think that life is what happens to us while we're busy making other plans. I think that life is what happens when we realize that God is in the detours. He's right there in the detour with us and that he has a plan and that he is sufficient. Your life, like mine, has probably taken some detours lately. And you've probably suffered some losses and maybe they're little things. But maybe they aren't. Maybe they're big things. And I just want to say, you need to take a moment to acknowledge that, to validate that, and be willing to grieve those things, and grieve those things with your friends and family members who need to grieve as well. But we also need to understand that there may be opportunities along the line opening up as well. Because I fully believe that God uses these detours in our life to draw us closer to him if we're willing to. To grow us to be much more than we were before. To become much more of what he's called and created and wired us to be. And thirdly, to be a part of his divine plan in the world today. No matter what, you need to know that God is the great I am. He's the one who is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that when Moses asked your name, you willingly revealed it. That you are Yahweh. You are I am. The one who has always been here. The one who will always be here. And Lord, you're the one who is with us right now in this very moment. And Lord, I know that there are people with us today that need to know that truth more than ever. And so God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make it evident beyond the shadow of a doubt to whoever needs it most right now, this day, this week, this month, that you, in fact, are the one who is with us. Amen.